Hello everyone and welcome back to Industry Perspectives. I'm your host Ainsley Bowden and today my guest is Benji Sales. Now Benji and I met a little while ago and I've been really impressed with the analysis and insight he provides into the gaming industry and the positive demeanor in which he does it. And so today we sat down to talk about his gaming history, how we got into analyzing sales data and other aspects of the industry, the impact technology such as xCloud and Game Pass will have in the future, as well as things like emerging markets in China, India, and others. It's a great conversation, so let's get to it. And we're live with Mr. Benji Sales. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Great to chat with you again. I am excited to be on. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, no, it's it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I know uh, we've had some fun conversations in the past, and uh, it's always nice to get to, to sit down with you. And I think uh, one of the reasons I reached out, too, is uh, kind of a unique... Um, I think you feel like a you feel like a unique position in the kind of gaming community and Twitter community, uh, which I think is really really cool. Um, and so uh, obviously we'll get into that today. But uh, before we do that, um, you know, I always like to kind of go back and kind of give the history of uh, of the person. So I wanted to start with you today uh, on kind of your gaming history. Um, you know, where where did it kick off for you? Um, was there a particular game or system or, you know, a family member or whatever that uh, kind of got you into it? Or what? what's that kind of first gaming memory for you? Yeah, so it started for me at a really young age. I can't remember exactly how old, but I mean, I was young, maybe five or so. And uh, for me, it started with the Super Nintendo. My uh, Yeah, my, my uncle bought it for me and my sister um for a christmas present that was the first system that we had ever owned like our own console yeah. and uh that's really what kicked it off for me was that snes man uh probably the first game that like i truly fell in love with as a kid and the first one i actually like fully beaten stuff uh was super mario world Legendary. on snes yeah man that game i just i have so many amazing memories of, of just being a kid going through the different levels and you know, like that's really where I kind of cut my teeth with games and learning how to play them. Um, so that was a big one for me. And then like a lot of those big Nintendo, you know, uh, Super Nintendo games like Star Fox was another yeah. one. Loved it as a kid. Um, uh, not a Nintendo developed game, but Mega Man X was a big one yeah. for me. Um, so, yeah, really that SNES, that was the, the start for me. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's one of my favorite systems of all time. Um, mm -hmm. Probably top three. And Super Mario World, I think, is it's got to be one of the greatest games of all time. I mean, it's just up there. I, I'm with you. Yeah, it's legendary. I think it's still one of the best Mario games ever made. Me too. To this day, I still think Me it too. really is. Even even you put it up against some of the newer ones. I, I don't know if you can 100% say it's the best, but it's <laughs> definitely near the top. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, and I'm, I'm the same way. It's fact, I, I think I've told the story before, but I, I was a Sega kid. And so I had yeah. Master System, then Genesis and Super Nintendo came out later than Genesis. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, back then it was the whole Sega Nintendo debate. Uh, and as a kid, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I remember I rented a Super Nintendo from Blockbuster. I uh, had one of those Ooh. nice weekends where the mom splurged and, you know, mm -hmm. rented a Super Nintendo with two games. I think it was F-Zero and Super Mario World. Um, oh, man. But I, one of the things I vividly remember, and this is crazy, right? What is it? Over 30 years ago was the second level or third level in Super Mario World. You go into the cave 
and when you first jump, it echoes. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time I had ever heard a video <laughs> game echo. And I was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Everything that was like Sega only in my mind just disappeared mm-hmm. at that moment. Oh, I was wow, like, I got to yeah. have a Super Nintendo. I got to get mm-hmm. one. But um, Don- Donkey Kong Country was another one for me. I was revolutionary. The graphics the, yeah. The, the graphics at the time, I couldn't believe it. It looked so, you know, you look at it now and you can see a bit of the pixelation and stuff. But at the yeah. time, it felt so lifelike. It felt so real. It did. And, uh, that was another one for me that was really big. Donkey Kong Country. Uh, one yeah. and two. Diddy Kong Adventure, I think. What was the second one? It was like Diddy Kong's Quest or something. Well, uh, Quest, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, those first two, man. I loved those games. <laughs> so many classics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even uh, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, is lesser known, but it's mm-hmm. an absolutely incredible game. I think it's underappreciated in the Mario, you know, kind of lineage, yeah. if you will. Um, but that's great, dude. Is there... You know, I, I one of the fun conversations I have with a lot of people is around specific gaming moments that jump out. Um, mm. So whether it be Super Nintendo or any other point kind of in your gaming history from there, uh, is there something kind of nostalgic or a specific moment in time gaming-wise that really jumps out to you or that you hold kind of fondly? Man, there's actually a couple. So I'll make Go them quick. It. I'll make no, them quick. No, we're in no rush. <laughs> There are there are a couple that just really stand out to me. Um, one of them is going to be the first time playing Final Fantasy VII. Um, okay. I had never played anything like that in terms of like RPG and story. My cousin at the time, um, I didn't own the game. I had a PlayStation One, but I hadn't like like Final Fantasy wasn't something that had ever even been on my radar before this. And I remember my cousin came over and he brought over Final Fantasy VII and was playing through it. And I just like my mind was blown at like all the story, (laughs) the characters, you know, seeing those cutscenes at the time, which again, like we mentioned with Donkey Kong, like now you look at them and they look real, you know, kind of basic. But at the time it was so cinematic and everything. And yeah, that's one that just really sticks out to me. That was like one of those first games that like. I realized story in games could become so like amazing. Yeah. So that's one that sticks out to me. One that's just like a really nostalgic and cozy memory okay. is, uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, my parents would always let us open like one present on Christmas Eve. Yes, yeah, so that's you know? that's Yeah, we could yeah. just pick one. The rest had to wait for Christmas Day, but you could pick one out on Christmas Eve. And uh, a really fond memory for me is uh, on Christmas Eve opening up Crash Bandicoot 2. I okay. loved Crash Bandicoot as a kid and just sitting down with my dad and sister on Christmas Eve, you know, playing through the levels, passing the controller. That's just one that's super cozy for me. And then uh, one that the last one that I'll mention that really kind of opened my eyes to multiplayer is the old school Halo 2 yes. system link. You know, getting piling like, you know, 10 dudes into a house, you know, with a couple consoles, system linking them between TVs and just raging all night playing Halo 2. That, I mean, on lockout and man, you know, battle rifle starts, BRs only (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or shoddy snipers and uh, just rage in Halo 2, man. So much fun uh, with some of my, you know, high school and, and, you know age friends we had so much fun doing that that's awesome yeah yeah i mean gosh i think everyone knows i could talk about halo all day every day um Mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's fantastic um those days 
Yeah, I've talked before around uh, as much as I love the modern gaming environment and the connectivity of it and being able to have just instant access to talk to your friends anywhere, which it's incredible, right? I wouldn't trade it for Mm -hmm. anything. But there is something about being in the same room with your friends, you know, in having multiple TVs, just LAN parties. I mean, LAN parties or arcade tournaments or, you know, those types of things are just a different environment. And I... I do wish to some degree that, you know, we could recreate those experiences somehow. Um, I mean, you can, but it's not easy, right, to do. Right, yeah. uh, It's so convenient to just be online that people don't really want to, like, you know, pack up the consoles, the TV, just pour into someone's house. But like you said, there was just something special about those days, man. You would, you know, go for hours and, you know, trash talking and (laughs) (laughs) just so much fun, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it is different, but um yeah, very fond memories of those days, uh for sure. So that's that's fantastic, man. Um so uh I think I asked you this previously on Bigcast when you were on uh one of the times, but I um I just wonder for this audience, what's uh what's your favorite franchise of all time? Ooh, man, that is tough. (laughs) That is tough because I'm one of those guys that like plays every genre. Like, you know, there's some people that really stick to just like one or two. You know, they just have a couple that they really like. I'm one of those dudes that plays just everything. So it's hard to narrow it down. Yeah, It doesn't have to be one. Um, You can give me a couple. Well, two of them are definitely going to be ones I just mentioned. Final Fantasy and Halo. Okay. even though both franchises I feel like have had their hits and their misses, of course. Um, just overall, like in terms of franchises that are just so important to me, I got to put them both up there. Um, okay. Final Fantasy, just because, you know, getting so into so many of those game stories, like it's really what it is for me. It's not necessarily the gameplay, even though the gameplay is cool. I've just always loved being transported to those different worlds, yeah. you know, exploring those characters and those stories. And then Halo, I mean, I got to put it in there. Just, I mean, the <laughs> amount of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours playing Halo, yeah. whether it's campaign or, or you know, land parties or online, I got to put Halo in there. And nice. uh, man, those might, those might be number one and two, to be honest. Okay. It's just franchises as a whole. I think those probably are the two that, that amp me the most. There, there's yes. some that could definitely join it once they get some more games. You know, there have yeah. been some great new IPs in recent yeah. years, but but those ones are just so many games that those stand out for me. Yeah, you uh, you as pumped as I am about Infinite? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest that that first showing, I, I was a bit underwhelmed. You know, I thought okay. the gameplay looked fun. Like I, even during my live reaction, you know, when I was watching it live, I was like, this looks fun to play, but just something don't seem quite right with the way it looks. Yeah, and, it wasn't uh, the showcase everyone was hoping it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, so I feel like the next time we see that game, though, it's going to look really impressive. I, I think I think they're going to really go all out on it. So I, I still have a lot of faith in it. I'm really, really amped. Yeah, me too, me too. So that's good to hear. It's funny uh, you pick Final Fantasy and Halo because, I, you know, when we have new guests on BitCast and we've had a ton – uh, I traditionally kind of ask that question, and I just going off of memory, I don't keep count or anything, but I, I honestly believe that if we were to go back and count every single uh, person who's responded to that question, that Final Fantasy and Halo would probably be one and two. Like those are the wow. top two that more people mention as their favorite franchise than any other, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah they're is, both uh, legendary franchises, man. Just shows the impact they had on people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they, you know, they have longevity and, um, you know, mass market appeal. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, do you have a, while we're on it, do you have a single, a single favorite title? Like, do you have a, a goat, if you will? Wow. <laughs> Put, putting you on the spot. You know, one that, I mean, honestly, I think Red Dead Redemption 2 is the best written game I've ever played. My man, I knew I invited I mean, you off. I mean, honestly, if we're talking like writing, I don't think there's ever been a game that's better written than Red Dead Redemption Two. I uh, mean, preach! If you want to take the whole show to talk about Red Dead Two, <laughs> I mean, we can, we can do it. <laughs> it's one that stands out to me. You know, there I can see some arguments against it in terms of like the gameplay and stuff because it is a different sure. feel. You know, it plays yeah. slow. Um, you know, they, there's so much focus on the animation work that some people don't feel it feels responsive enough. Like, I totally get those arguments. But, man, there are so many moments in that game when I was playing through it. I was like, this is a masterpiece. Yes. Like, it, it's the, industry changing. The writing in that game blew me away. I mean, some of those scenes are so powerful. Some of those lines of dialogue are just unreal how yep. good they are. Um did I don't you, know. Uh, I don't know if as a whole package I can put it as my goat because there are some in contention, but that's okay. one that stands out to me. When I when I finished that game, I was like, "That is the best written game I have ever played." Ever. Did Did you have the moment? Uh, and I try not to spoil this, but did you have the moment um, at the end of the storyline with his Arthur's uh, disease with the nun? Oh Where, yeah. God, man, that that for gut, me, that's literally punch. the mo that's one of those moments in all time gaming history that just hit me in a way like I don't feel there was a better moment last generation than that moment. Yeah. And even, you know, again, without spoiling, but even the epilogue section, oh, I even yeah. feel that's incredible. Like and, and the way it sets up directly to. Oh, right yeah. Even yeah. that epilogue sequence is like because when I first went into it, you know, you've quote, quote, beaten the game. Right. I'm thinking this is just going to be like a short little, okay, this is going to be like a quick little 30-minute yes. or epilogue. Next thing I know, it's like a whole chunk of game still, yeah, and it uh, and it's it's just as amazing, I think, as the main game. Like, it, the quality Agreed. stays just as high. Yeah. it's uh, That game is staggering to me. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's even without getting to the world and what they created with the oh, ecosystem. Yeah. And, you know, it's just... That game, like I think about it, and I just I used to code. I talk about this all the time, and so oh, I, I looked at that. that game I didn't know that years and years ago. Yeah, um, it's just a background of what I got into in my career. But it's like when you look at it from that perspective, you just sit there sometimes and think, "How the hell did they do this?" Like mm -hmm. the mind just kind of unravels of the how you can even accomplish something to that level. Um, yeah. But that's what you know. Eight years and what fifteen hundred employees or something <laughs> yeah. will will do <laughs> no for kidding. you. <laughs> so that's cool though that's funny you mentioned that because no joke we um on cast co-op just a couple days ago in our third episode uh joe and uh luke hasn't played it but joe likes to say that uh you know red dead one is is better and that red dead two is overrated and i was like mm, I, I, I love I red dead agree. one don't get me wrong but yeah. come on man come on yeah, I, I, I personally can't agree with that red dead one <laughs> is a great game but i thought red dead two was smoked the first one and yeah, i again i love the first one. it's not a knock on it but yeah. man that second game wow yeah yeah mind-boggling so well cool um so that kind of gives us a, a background then so let's get into um you know what people know you for and that's yeah. kind of your uh industry analysis and uh by the way i you know if i haven't said it recently in our chats um just congrats on the growth and 
recognition. Thanks. I think, um, you know, it, it's great to see. We were joking before recording, um, and I, I tend to devolve into that conversation of the nonsense and the garbage we see on Twitter every day. So I'm going to try not to do that today. Um, <laughs> I but totally it, it's get great. it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is great to see someone like yourself who just has a true passion for gaming and, um, you know, just likes to talk about uh, the joys of gaming combined with the factual side, which is mm-hmm. what it should be about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great to see the recognition and the growth, man. Just, it's awesome. So congrats. Thank you. It means a lot. Seriously. It's, it's been crazy. You know, I, I, uh, definitely did not expect for it to happen. Like it has been, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. So on that. And I, again, I know we've talked about some of these things in the past, but for this conversation, you know, you've made it clear to people that, uh, this is not your job. You're not an mm-hmm. industry analyst, uh, from a career perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so take us back into how this even began. Like, how did you initially start kind of getting into analyzing, whether it be game sales, performance, what, wherever you want to start? Um, you know, what kind of kicked that off for you and the interest in that? You know, it came basically like out of nowhere. So <laughs> I was, you know, like we were talking about, I've always been a lifelong crazy passionate gamer right like there was never a point in my life where i wasn't playing games i know there's some people like you know they're super into it as a kid and then they move away from it for a few years and then they come back like that's super common for me though i like it never stopped like from the moment i got that super nintendo on i was always you know a gamer i was always playing as many games as i could i i just loved the medium like i just love it and uh So that eventually led me, you know, as the internet, you know, for us, when we were kids, the internet wasn't like it is now, (laughs) not at all. So, you know, nowadays there's like 10 year olds on Twitter and forums and stuff. When we were 10, that was not a thing. You talk to your friends on the, you know, school playground about them. There was no online community of gamers and, uh, or at least not in a big way. So as I, you know, hit like my teenager years, that's whenever you started seeing way more forums pop up and things like that. So it started for me actually on the GameTrailers.com forums. Okay. You know, I stumbled onto GameTrailers just looking up, you know, the videos for for video games coming out because that was like a hub. That site back then. It was. Yeah. yeah, It was like a spot you could find trailers for just like any games you wanted. And again, like we were saying, the online community wasn't as big. So you would like this. And YouTube wasn't what it was back then. No. Yeah. Yeah. Not yet. No, it had not blown up like it was yet. So I kind of got on there just watching videos first. And then I dove into the forums, like a created account, started posting in the forums. And again, at this point, it has nothing to do with sales. I'm just talking about video games with and i'll never forget i'm on a thread and somebody posts i don't even know who this was right just some random person post sales data for fable like how many units the game fable had sold yeah and in my brain it was just like a switch went off because me and my buddies like fable was another one that was huge for me right uh me and my friends were big into fable the original game great game and uh Suddenly the switch goes off in my head. Like I always knew what me and my friends played, but I never knew what was popular with other people. Right. Only, only people I know. And suddenly I was like, I don't know why this happened, but I was just instantly fascinated. Like, I'm like, wait, I have a number now of how many people like this game (laughs) or or, are interested in this game because they went out and bought this game. And suddenly like, like literally from that moment on, I just tried to find as much sales data and as much, 
info and numbers as I possibly could find. So after that, it led me to VGCharts.com. Okay, yeah. Yeah, VG Charts Forums was my, was my next spot um, because that, that was like the only spot on the internet that was like conglomerating or putting up a bunch of numbers together. Yeah. So, uh, and there was like a sales community there. So then on there, it was just, again, the same thing, rating as much as I possibly can, following NPD like crazy. Um, and around this time, I also got a job with GameStop. So okay. then my, my passion for finding out about numbers also started to transition into what my day job was too, because when you're at GameStop, you know, part of your job is to sell games to people. Of course. So, and that's actually how I got the job. My resume was literally just me <laughs> writing about video game sales data to, for an entry level position. <laughs> the district manager brings me in and she tells me, I have interviewed thousands of people. I have literally never seen anything like this. That's awesome. <laughs> At the time, I didn't have much job experience or anything. Sure. She flat out tells me the district manager and the store manager who I ended up working for. They're like, you are literally only getting this job because this resume. This is crazy. (laughs) So clearly you care about the business side of games if you're doing like this in your spare time. Yeah. So then they just kind of like went together while I was at GameStop working and I eventually worked my way up into management there. Okay. You know, I, I was paying attention to what customers were buying. I was paying attention to any numbers I could get out of GameStop and then in my spare time, I'm on forums, eventually NeoGAF, and then eventually Reset Era. And now I'm not on any forums. Now I'm just Twitter. Yeah. Um, because forums in me don't click as well, to be honest, as, as Twitter does. Yeah. <laughs> um, Different but, environment. We can go, yeah, we can go into that later if you want. Yeah. But but yeah, basically, it all started there on GameTrailers.com and then just building my knowledge through years and years and years of just finding out any chart I can find, any... PR piece or marketing piece I can find and just getting as much info as I can. That's awesome. Um, it's kind of funny how passions like that just uh, kind of evolve, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just something triggers it and then it becomes a lifelong thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's neat. I think um, one of the other things I was going to touch on there is as the industry's evolved, right? And we've gone from purely, you know, back then, as you're referring to, it was here's your box sales, right? And it was mm-hmm. a lot easier, I think, to track all of the, you know, the data and true sales figures, whereas uh, it's evolved as digital's grown, obviously. Um, and now we're into an era where, you know, subscription services and you have more platforms and you have all these other competing things and the data is really, really scattered uh, and inconsistent, I would say. Um, yeah, it's much the- harder. It's yeah. much harder now, much harder. Yeah. So like, that's what I was going to ask you, right? Is how does that impact kind of the things you like to do, right? As, as all these, uh, whether it be MPD or all these other figures, Nintendo does their own thing and you've got all these different, Mm -hmm. you know, ways in which this data is handled. Uh, Is that a challenge for you at times to kind of try and analyze and pull things together? Yeah, it really is. You know, and like we mentioned, I don't have the advantage that like, paid analysts have that's why on my twitter account i just put independent because i no one's paying me just doing (laughs) it on my own (laughs) um but like those guys that that's their job i mean they get this data you know they they do they get their hands on a lot of numbers that never go public so that makes it a lot easier for them so for me uh i have definitely had to evolve like what i do to uh have a decent grasp of what's going on you know it used to be 
you could just look at a sales chart and and a lot more of those numbers used to be public by the way too npd used yeah. to publicly have numbers like you could just go look at yeah. the npd data now it's all hidden um but like whatever chart you found those boxed sales units basically told you everything right sure. like there was no digital or if there was it was very very small we're talking yeah. like during the 360 days it's like five percent at most right, right. Nowadays, it's over 50. Some games hit up into 60, 70 percentage digital. Um, but back then, you basically knew. So nowadays, I do a lot of like, uh, especially leading into a game's launch, I look at a lot of stuff like uh, metrics. I feel like metrics online have become way more important than they used to be. So like YouTube trailer views, how many people are watching this okay. YouTube video trailer? How many yeah. people are not just watching it, but also liking it? because that's also showing that they didn't just click and immediately go away. They're hitting sure. that like button, which means an, an extra layer of uh, interactivity with it. You know, I look at things like Google trends to see how searches are going for games. You know, I keep my poll still on forums. I don't post in any forums, but I do read them because I do like to just see what the gaming community is talking about. And, uh, and then on top of that, you know, I still do all the stuff I used to do. I read those NPD charts like crazy. I look at the UK charts. I look at the Japanese charts. Uh, so I still pull as much real quote, quote data as possible. But then I also add on to it those social metrics, which I do feel are becoming a very important piece of the pie. I agree. Um, uh, and you would know better than me, but it just, it you can feel it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you can feel, I mean, you look at a game, for instance, uh, one of the ones I point to, and you may know better than me on this, but is Among Us. I mean, Among mm. Us launched, it had next to no audience. I mean, it yeah. was basically dead in the water. And something just kind of clicked with that streaming social media community. And I mean, look at it now, right? You're talking millions upon millions of sales. Yeah. And I think the, the, the way that social media and streaming and kind of that instant access and gratification um, has really changed the market. I mean, we've, we've even seen it from a communication standpoint, right? The ebbs and flows, even just in the past few weeks, for instance, you know, look mm -hmm. at, um, you know, Xbox's communication and the, the turnaround they've done there and people calling what, you know, for PlayStation to speak more because it's just, that's what the community expects nowadays. You know, yeah. they expect that constant, constant feed. Um, which I don't know is a good thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, what, what, what do you think about that? Do you feel this kind of instant gratification, instant access to everything is a good thing? Or, um, you know, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, that is honestly a great point. And uh, it just kind of shows like how like things like YouTube and stuff have changed the way we think about things. Like it used to yeah. be, you know, you go back when, again, when we were a little bit younger and uh like you had E3. That that's was right. about it. And then yeah. maybe and once magazines. a month. Yeah, what that's what I was saying. Once a month you had like a new gaming magazine to yep. get info. And that was about it. You got your one big show, and then you got one magazine a month that you'd be pulling every scrap of info you can out <laughs> yeah. of it. Nowadays, and I'm even a victim of this, when like a YouTube channel I like, like I've gone like four days to no new video. I'm like, where are you at, man? Where, where's, the new, where's the new content? Like, and I'm not, I'm not going on their pages and say this, but in my head, I'm like, I need more. I need, I need new videos. I need yeah. you know, more content. And it really is just how the internet has changed how we think about things. Like nowadays, people constantly want to know what's happening, and that's just like you know the ubiquity of the internet. So. Yeah. 
I think there's good parts about it. And then there's definitely it's negatives, right? The good yeah. part about it is, is you can really energize that audience. If you're doing good, like if your PR is good and everything and you're, you know, everything's crisp. The good part is, man, you can get your fan base just engaged. The bad part though, is like we were saying, those expectations go up and up and up. <laughs> and if you decide to be quiet for a little bit, the sky is falling. The yeah. sky is falling is doom. Where's my info? Something <laughs> bad must be happening. PlayStation's uh, dead. You didn't hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the internet has changed everything, everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you know, along those same lines, I actually wrote an article last week, uh, that I worked on for weeks prior, uh, on me, um, gaming influencers. Um, because you know, you hear about influencers, you see it, you mentioned it, right? YouTube, Twitter, where have you, uh, streaming and, um, just the impact and the marketing spend that companies Ooh. are allocating towards it, which is, crazy. Uh, yeah, it's growing exponentially right year mm -hmm. over year. And, um, I really dove into it and it was just eye opening. Um, mm -hmm. eye opening to how much they're spending to, um, uh, you know, the impact that different levels of influencers, depending on how big your audience and, you know, all these different things. And it was just, it's fascinating to me. Um, but it is, it's a completely different market than it was mm -hmm. even five years ago. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's night and day. It's crazy mm -hmm. to me. So that's gonna, the exciting part about the video game industry, right? It's like whatever's true today, one year from now, it's not going to be true. <laughs> like it changes so fast. <laughs> it's just so fast. Yeah. In fact, you know, that's a perfect segue um, because that's what I was going to ask kind of uh, your insight on and chat with you on today too, is around exactly that. Um, you know, the technology is changing. The way communication happens is changing. Um, everything is just changing about the industry. And uh, just last night, uh, you know, I got in this this past weekend to the uh, X Cloud beta on uh, iOS and browser, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, because I have an iPhone, it's company issued, so I, I never, you know, use it on Android. Um, right. And so I've been waiting to test this. And just last night, um, I pulled up uh, MLB The Show 21 on my iPhone mm. um, and connected a Bluetooth controller to it, and you know, went in, pulled my profile, went into Road to the Show, and I'm just like. You know, I've used xCloud before. I played at E3 and had those conversations. But it is just the that instant access and the connectivity and that ecosystem engagement is just uh, it's fascinating to me, especially from a technology perspective, you know. Um, but yep. I think that will change the industry. So that was a long-winded way to get to, um, you know, as you kind of study the analytics of game sales uh, and things that are evolving and the technology is evolving, you know, how do you see over the next few years or what are your thoughts, I should say, on um, how that technology is going to change the way people consume games? Mm -hmm. um, because I know Game Pass is obviously the biggest kind of topic of conversation right now. I mean, from your perspective, things like subscription services, Game Pass, things like console streaming and instant access to libraries. I mean, what, do, what are your thoughts about those types of things? Yeah, so I think the future is really about two things. Like if there's two big things I could point to that, that are like, listen, this is at least in my opinion, going to be the biggest factors. First of all, it's ecosystem. Okay. Yes. It's all about ecosystem. Everything's about ecosystem. And the reason that has changed so much from what it used to be 
is it used to be, yeah, ecosystem, quote, quote, has always been important in terms of like install base and, and yeah. selling some games and stuff like that. It's always been a factor, right? There's always been a race for the biggest install base in the yep. gaming industry. But the, the thing that has really changed why ecosystem is so much more important, even than it was back then, is online storefronts microtransactions, mm -hmm. yes. DLC. We're talking the sheer amount of spend is billions and billions of dollars. And locking someone into your ecosystem, whether you're Xbox, whether you're Nintendo, whether you're PlayStation, not only are you gonna be selling games to those people, you're also gonna be selling subscriptions to those people. You're also gonna be selling DLC to those people. You're also gonna be selling, you know, microtransactions. And you know, you could just go on and on. Yes. That, yeah. that person entering your ecosystem does so much more for you than just buying a game. There's yeah. just so many more levels to it than that. So ecosystem for me is is huge, right? That's kind of what you even hear Microsoft mostly talk about, right? Oh, yeah. They talk about their Xbox consoles, but they talk about Game Pass. They talk about, you know, player numbers. They don't even really talk about sales that much anymore. It's pretty no. rare you hear a sales milestone for Microsoft. They tell you how many people are playing their games. Yeah. Because that's the more important metric to them nowadays, honestly. Well, and we and we hear that from the devs too. Yeah, you know the, yeah. the devs aren't. You know, you still see like, hey, we we reached a million copies sold. But I mean, mm -hmm. you know, especially in the indie environment, it's more about how many people are being exposed to their game. Yeah, uh, and actually playing it. Yeah, so that's the first big one to me, and then the second big one actually, you know, builds off what you're saying with XCloud. The future is also about accessing games in as many ways as possible. It used yeah. to be you bought a console, you stuck your game in it, your physical disc, and that was how you played a game. Yeah. Now, that's still going to be a thing in the future. I don't think physical goes away soon. I think we're still going to have physical for a while, personally. However, I'm fighting that. I'm fighting yeah. for it. <laughs> However, it is about how many ways, because we like, especially companies like Microsoft, they want to take away as many barriers as possible. They want it to be so easy for you to play a game. So yeah. whether that is going out and buying a game and sticking it in your console, whether it's playing it on the PC that you own, whether it's streaming to your phone that you own through xCloud, whether it's buying your game or getting them through subscriptions like Game Pass, they just want to give you all the options. They don't want to like funnel you into just one spot. Like this is the only way we can get a hold of people. They want, listen, if you have a way of accessing a game, we want you to be able to use it. Yeah. So those to me are the two biggest things, making that barrier of entry as low as possible and then getting people into your ecosystem. Yeah. And and the second one ties into the first one. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yep. if the ecosystem is kind of uh, curated and developed properly, then it, you know, the possibilities for expansion and ways people can access it is even greater. Exactly. They just go hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that, again, that's a perfect segue because one of the other things I wanted to mention, right, um, is emerging markets. Um, Ooh, you yeah. know, one of the things we've seen for decades, really, is you have the North American market, you have UK, uh, you have Japan, of course, and then you have, you know, all the other uh, kind of smaller markets after that. But we're we're seeing the when you talk about global presence, right, we're starting to see uh, those huge global nations such as India uh, mm -hmm. and, of course, China's, I mean, the easiest one to mention, starting right. to come into play. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things I've been preaching for a while now, and it's, you know, no pun intended, but China is the sleeping dragon in the <laughs> gaming industry, right? I mm -hmm. mean, there's just the potential for both investment and development and therefore expansion is enormous. Um, oh, yeah. 
And, uh, you know, South Korea to a lesser extent, I would say, too. Uh, I mean, that's just the the kind of influx of gaming in the South Korean culture is, I think it dwarfs even Japan at this point, uh, last time I looked. But regardless, um, you know, as we're talking about this technology, and I think uh, Xbox's methodology, not to stay on Xbox, but just in general, the methodology of access to ecosystem, regardless of device, mm-hmm. becomes even more important in those Absolutely. emerging markets. Right? Um have you done any or had any conversations or any kind of interest, any thoughts, what have you, on those types of things, right? Like Indian development, Chinese development, where where that is heading over the next several years and beyond. Yeah. So so one advantage that has happened through, you know, like we talked about kind of earlier, like the growth of my platform is that I do get way more opportunities to chat with developers and, and people working at publishers than I used to. Right. Awesome. It used to be if it was just PR, that was the only way I found something out. Nowadays, a lot of times I uh, I'm not the kind of guy that goes around you know, like asking for scoops and searching things out <laughs> and that kind of thing. like I, I, to me, it just feels weird. Like I don't knock people that do that, that like have that drive for that. But for me, it just like feels weird to like, let's build our relationship off me finding things out from you. <laughs> like for me, it's like, but sometimes people do come to me and they, you know, if they, they work in a developer or something and they're excited to tell me something because they know I'm like passionate about it. Sure. And you know, they'll tell me like, Hey man, dude, look at this. This is really cool. Something that's happening with our game. And, uh, Definitely emerging markets is a thing that is becoming really, really important. A lot of areas in Asia outside of Japan, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned, it used to be when you talked about Asia, you were really talking about Japan. It was right? Japan. Yeah. yeah, it was the Japanese market. Yeah. But a lot of those other countries are starting to come online in ways they didn't necessarily used to. So right. I know that that's becoming one that a lot of devs are starting to see some success in those markets. Um the Middle East is becoming very big for PlayStation, um, like big time. A lot of PlayStation games that do very well in the Middle East. Now, okay. of course, they're not going to be at the same level as like North America, right? Clearly, that's going to take a long time to sure. build up. But I know the Middle East has become a bit of a hot spot for PlayStation in particular, not really Microsoft or Nintendo, but particularly PlayStation. Okay. And uh, and I do feel India has big potential, yes. personally. That's the one to me that, I mean... China to me, actually, I just wonder how big China will become for consoles. To me, that feels like not a thing that's going to happen. I hope it does. And they're like huge for mobile and PC, (laughs) massive. And consoles will, I think, grow there. But out of the two, I actually feel India has potential to maybe be a bigger console market than China does. Yeah. just from some of the things I've kind of seen, and, and this is still early days, so who knows? I could be radically off on this, but <laughs> but that's one that sticks out to me. And then, of course, as we all know, I think by now, places like Brazil have become very big. Yeah, shockingly yeah. so. Yeah, Bra- Brazil is another one that's a very big deal. Brazil is a huge market now for video games. So that's another one. Gotcha. Yeah, good point out. And um, yeah, no, your comments about China and India, too, and, and I you know, anyone who's kind of uh, looked into this, you know, the regulatory differences mm-hmm. between the two are, are a huge Makes a factor. big difference. Yep. Yeah. Big I mean, and that's why we haven't really ever seen console growth there, right? I mean, they yep. weren't even legal to sell. Um, yep. So it's going to, you know, it, I think it's a different conversation if for the past 30 years consoles have sold there, but you're mm-hmm. coming in to where consoles are going to, you know, slowly be able to be sold there. But the entire yeah. market, to your point, PC and mobile is very Ooh. different today 
than it was, you know, when it was consoles. Like we talked mobile about. there is crazy, man. It's mind boggling. Yeah, it's crazy. Mind boggling. <laughs> because you crazy look at the numbers, like, like you Daniel know, Daniel Ahmed, you know, he would know way more about this than me. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, he's the master of China. He knows that market. Um, yeah. Some of the yeah, stuff he, he posts is fascinating. Yeah. He, he's the expert there. He knows all the details about China. For me, that's a bit of a harder egg to crack. Um, <laughs> but yeah, clearly mobile is just unbelievable there. Yeah. And I even mean, PC, even PC is like big in China. It's a big market for PC. Yeah. As I look understand at PUBG. It, I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. If you look at PUBG, whether it be mobile or PC, Yep. It's just, it's a monster in China. I mean, billions mm -hmm. of dollars of revenue on an annual basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I just, I think it's neat because one of the things I like to talk about, right. As, as the gaming revenue expands and, and kind of goes into these new markets that builds generations of uh, children up like we mm. did, right. We grew up with it. You gain an interest and then a percentage of those people will turn those and in, turn that into careers. And of course, what that means is you start to see emerging development. Um, yeah. and you start to see game development. And, you know, uh, the one that made an impact a few months ago was it the Wushu game um, or um, God, Wukong or something like Wukong. that. Wukong, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Um, but I mean, it just looks incredible. But it also has uh, kind of Chinese mythology in it and, mm -hmm. you know, some history there that you normally might not see out of a North American or, or a Western developer. And I just, I find that fascinating that we could get Indian experiences and Chinese experiences. And it's always been kind of Western Europe, or North America, oh, yeah, Japan, you know, same mm -hmm. thing. It matches the market. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the opportunities to get new game experiences is just as uh, exciting as anything else there. Yeah, no, that's very, very, very true. I think you will see more of that. You know, look at right now how we have so many people that like love Japanese games, right? Yes. Like even if they're not from Japan, they just love Japanese <laughs> yes, games. Part of our culture. Yeah, they have a different feel. They have, you know, you play a, a persona and it feels a lot different than an Assassin's Creed, right? Of they course. just feel radically different. So I think you're spot on. Just imagine when you have games from like India and China and, you know, whatever markets as developers grow there that you might get these fan bases around these games because they have a different feel, right? It doesn't feel like North American AAA game yeah. number 375. Like <laughs> it has a, has a different vibe to the it. Ubisoft so that could, effect. <laughs> so that could become, that could, you're spot on. That could become a really big factor in the future, even outside of those market sales, right? That could be even big yeah. globally. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think, one of the things, and you know, we're just kind of going down a different uh, topic here, but one of the things that compounds on top of that I think is interesting is as gaming has grown um, and we've seen way more experiences, right? We're seeing, uh, they're not educational games per se, but they have some real historic relevance or mm. they tell a meaningful story about true events, right? Uh, like the War of Mine is a great example. And I think that you know, there's if you ask your average person here in North America about Indian history or Chinese <laughs> yeah. history, you're not going to get anything right. No. And I think there's an opportunity there to kind of uh, spread awareness of other cultures, which, mm -hmm. in my opinion, is always a very important thing as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's one thing that we're seeing growing in gaming in a really positive way is that you are seeing a lot more stories about different people. It's yeah. not just the same thing. Like, you know, it used to be pretty darn rare 
that you had, you know, women as your protagonist, as who yeah. you were playing as. Like, of course, you've always had some, right? You had Laura Croft. You had, you know, iconic characters like that. There was a few, but that is even just one area there that you're seeing way more of than you used to. You know, yeah. you're seeing, like, look at Horizon Zero Dawn, one of the biggest games PlayStation's ever had, yeah. and that has a woman protagonist. So, yeah, you're going to see just more and more stories about different kinds of people, and, yeah, that's that's good for everybody. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, Aloy's a perfect example. I have a statue of her coming. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I loved it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I uh, kind of jumping back just a little bit because I did want to touch on this only because it's such a big topic right now. And it especially over the past several weeks with Outriders and MLB, the show is Game Pass. Yeah. Um, and Game Pass is a, a unique service now. And, um, you know, one of the things that... Uh, kind of I've been talking about for a while and I'm not alone, of course, uh, many people have, it's just that, you know, this subscriber model. And if you look at the trends and obviously, again, you know, better than I do here, but you know, one of the things I've gotten in, I almost feel like you a little bit is I've really kind of <laughs> dove in on game pass to the analytics side of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how does it impact sales? What are the trends? Like, how does that compare to Spotify and Netflix and Disney plus and HBO max, you know, all these other industries that we've seen the same thing occur. And I don't know about you, but I was actually going through these charts the other day. Just, well, I guess you get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, dude, you're speaking my language. I love to hear. <laughs> I was about to say it sounds weird, but I was like, I'm talking I to love the right it. person. I um, love it. <laughs> and what I was doing is kind of mapping out from when they started to that, that escalation of growth, right? And at what point in that escalation of growth did it begin to compound? right? Because that's what you see. You see growth, yep. growth, growth, but then you hit a point, whether it be in subscriber count or investment, which escalates that and it oh, begins yeah. to compound. Um, and you can see that it's really interesting. If you look at Spotify, you look at Netflix, you look at Disney plus, they all have very similar curves where mm -hmm. it's like growth, 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 and then jump. Boom. Yeah. Yep. It just, you know, up. And, you know, I personally believe we're going to see that in Game Pass. Um, yeah, we're hitting it right now, I think. We're, it's starting, right? Yep. Um, we're, hit, we're hitting a spot now where it looks like they're gaining at least 1 million new subs a month. I mean, that's yes. that's crazy. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they've got, what, 4 to 5 million in the first quarter of 2021 mm -hmm. with MLB and Outriders. And, and both big games, and I don't mean to downplay them. I've said this before, but they're not that blockbuster, right? And oh, no. If you see these rumors already swirling of Battlefield 6, potentially, um, you know, games like that, if they launch day and date on Game Pass, and this is before first party starts to hit, right? Yep. So you start to see the Starfields and the Dooms and whatever, you know, Halo, of course, is coming. Um, you know, I really do think we're going to be in an area where you're going to hit that, uh, you know, 35, 40, 45, 50 million point here in 2022, et cetera. Um, and then what that does, of course, is it's just Michael, Michael, Microsoft, my son's name is Michael. I don't know why that came <laughs> out. Uh, Microsoft then or Xbox, you know, will again, compound the investment, right? Because then once mm -hmm. you get 50 million subs, you, your, your interest from developers and publishers on day one launch becomes bigger and it just, it builds on each other. 100%. And so <clears throat> I just wanted to get your thoughts on that is do you see Game Pass as having that impact and being that kind of market disruptor? Um, as many of us are thinking right now, do you see any kind of, uh, you know, uh, limit somewhere it can go or any problems with it? Or, or is it as kind of fruitful in the future, near future, as uh, we're, we're kind of discussing here? What do you think? 
Game Pass is and will continue to completely change the video game industry. Yeah. Just flat out, you know. I know that might sound like a hot take to start off here with, but it just uh, is. I agree with you. Yeah, it just it just is. Like the industry won't ever be the same after this. Yeah. Um, I remember back when Microsoft first announced that all their first party games were going to go day one on Game Pass, and I was like so caught off guard by that i was yes. like whoa is this gonna work like how are you gonna make your you know i had the same thoughts everyone does right yes. um you know and that's just the way my brain works is i'm instantly thinking about you know how, how are you making money here these you know triple a games cost hundreds of millions of dollars how, what everyone this, asked right right yep. like how's it gonna work if you you know and you just assume of course there will be radical cannibalization of these games by going onto a service like that what's really interesting though is we've seen like both for and against cannibalization. It's very weird. It seems <laughs> some games are cannibalized. I believe Gears 5 was cannibalized by Game yeah. Pass. I really do believe that. That game, I'm just I'm just gonna be honest, it did not sell very well, right? Okay. Gears 5 compared to the franchise highs is just, I mean, radically down compared to previous entries. However, the crazy thing is when you look at the Game Pass most played charts, I mean it's literally every single week basically in that top 10 to 15 <laughs> games on game pass so clearly lots of people are playing it it's and, just and to your point it has microtransactions in it there's yeah. skins and continual content coming for that game but then weirdly enough we also see examples of games that it seems like had zero cannibalization or very minor games like forza horizon 4 for example which literally still this game came out years ago just this past month was still in the top selling games in npd on xbox still yeah. and this game is we're talking what three years three, old now? almost three years old yeah, yeah and in game pass and it's still selling so it's yeah. like it's i it's super it's got to be interesting from microsoft's point of view where they have way more direct info on this sure yeah. what games are like possibly losing sales from game pass but still of course for microsoft they're not only going to look at it as sales right sure. it's all about driving subscriber growth now i believe microsoft cares more about getting more subscribers than they care about selling games i 100 believe. Well, that. i completely agree with you yeah completely i think if you, i think if you give microsoft a, a choice right let's say they had a game and you say hey you have a choice here and obviously you won't strictly have this i'm just saying if you did you can yeah. sell five million units of this game you know at full price or whatever or you could convert that five million maybe instead to eight or ten million subscribers maybe you're not getting as much you know that instant 60 dollar hit yeah. but you're getting subscribers from it which would you choose i'm telling you they would choose those game pass subscribers 100 yeah that's the future for them so sales isn't like the only metric but it is interesting to watch like you're seeing a lot of indie games in particular elevate sales from game pass they're selling more copies than they would have and i think yeah. it's that extra marketing exposure from game pass so it's it's going to change everything and like you were talking about with compounding growth you know that service started in 2017 i believe right, right? wasn't that yep. 2017 i'm pretty sure yeah about four years yeah. yeah and they hit 10 million subs in 2019 is that right? 10 million I'd, subs? I'd have to look, yeah. yeah I don't I'd know. have to go back and look at the exact year, but I put it this way. I know it took some time to get to that first 10 million subs, yeah. but now you're seeing them radically grow, right? That that journey to 10 million took a lot longer than that journey from 10 million to 20 million. Yeah. And I think that 20 million to 30 million is going to be even shorter. Yeah. So we are seeing that, that compounding growth. And you're also now seeing that change 
with devs where now they're willing to put that game day one on the service because it's a little less attractive if you're like, hey, I can get 5 million eyeballs potentially on your game when you just have 5 million subs. And obviously not every person's going to click the game. But yeah. then when you go to someone, especially if they have microtransactions, and you're like, hey, I can get 20 plus million people looking at your game instantly. All of a sudden you're a publisher and you're like, oh, that's pretty attractive. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's as it grows, as Game Pass grows, you'll only see more and better games on it. You'll see yep. them hitting quicker, and you're just going to see more revenue from Microsoft. But it's going to be interesting to see how Sony and other comp uh, companies respond. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, because, you know, I posed the question to uh, uh, Joe the other day of, you know, the talk for years, as you well know, has been the, the transformation of digital and the move to digital. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, what I asked him was, okay, um, Joe, when's the last time did you buy a music album digitally? And he goes, okay, I don't remember. I said, well, how do you listen to it then? Oh, Spotify. Exactly. Exactly. You don't think about it. You don't even yep. think about buying an album anymore. You yep. just know when a new music album comes out, you go to your service and you listen to it. It's that simple. Same way. I mean, it's almost the same way you have movie theaters, of course. But I mean, you know, every day or every week you turn on Netflix, there's a new series. There's something new to watch and consume. And it's that steady flow of content. And I think uh, you can certainly let me know your thoughts here. But I think to your point about the number one important focus for Xbox is building that subscriber base above all else. Yep. Um, Even over selling consoles. And don't get me wrong, 100%. they want to sell consoles, but they care more about Game Pass. 100%. Um, and I think that is because they want to have it. And it's easy to compare to Netflix. I know it's not a one-to-one, -one, but they want to have that same type of effect where Game Pass is the indispensable service. There may be other competing services that come. You know, people have their Disney Plus or HBO Max, what have you, right? But Netflix is the one. That's the mm -hmm. global kind of king, if you will. And I think if they get, in my opinion, again, tell me your thoughts, but in my opinion, if they get to that 35 plus, 40 million plus count before anyone else really responds or kind of creates something that's in a competing sense, I think that they're already on that path because then the growth is just too too severe to uh, even catch up to at that point. Yeah, That's my game, thought. No, I think you're spot on. Game Pass is right now set up to be like a runaway freight train. And I think people don't quite realize that yet because we haven't, <laughs> we haven't truly seen that first party effect yet. Right. Like y'all, literally, I've mentioned this before. Like you always, of course, you're always going to hear it. Xbox has no games. I mean, my God, how many years have I heard this? Okay. Literally, all you have to do is the math. It's just basic math. If you've taken basic, you know, elementary math, you can do the math yourself. Look That's where you lost some of the Twitter audience look, right there. Look, look, at the, <laughs> look, look at the number of studios Microsoft owns. Factor that those studios take three to four years to make a game. Mm -hmm. Then factor in publishing deals, whatever. Yeah. You do the math, dude, they're going to have games hitting at a breakneck pace. Like yes. as, once yeah. all these studios come online, you're talking about a new big Xbox exclusive potentially every other month. Yeah. And I think their goal is every month. I truly believe that. I truly believe Microsoft's end goal is they want a triple A major game hitting Game Pass every single month. Because that is how Netflix and things like that, like you mentioned, have yeah. become such monsters is there is always something new. Like yes. Netflix, it, there, there's always something, whether it's a Netflix original movie, whether I can't it's a Netflix. Even keep up. 
Right. Well, it's a Netflix original <laughs> series. I mean, it's like for them, it's like every week. It's not even every month. But yeah. you know what I mean? They constantly keep you engaged. Like yes. you're just always getting something new. And that's what Microsoft's eventual goal, I believe, is not even just a, a new third party game every month. I think they want a Microsoft published game every single month on that service eventually. And that's really why you've seen the studio growth. I remember when this first came out that they were going to do these day one game or, you know, Microsoft's games were going to be on Game Pass. Yeah. And you saw people say, oh, this is going to reduce investment. Like Microsoft's going to be less, you know, they're going to be more risk averse. They're going to make less games because they're going to be making <laughs> less money. It is the opposite. Correct. The way you fuel a subscription is you pump that bad boy with constant content. Disney Plus became a monster with over 100 million subs now because that's how yes. you watch The Mandalorian. That's how Correct. you watch, you know, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's how you watch WandaVision. Microsoft yep. has to do the exact same thing with Game Pass. You, you come to Game Pass and you constantly get this new content. Yep. And yeah, it's, it's I, man, I wonder how PlayStation responds. And I don't mean <laughs> that in like a console war way. Yeah. It is just so fascinating to me because they seem, at least to me and from, you know, limited conversations with people, they seem to have no interest in that as far as I understand. And like a, and like, like putting our games day one, you know, on a subscription service, they, to me, don't have that vibe at all. Maybe something's changed because it feels to me like PlayStation is a company that internally is doing a lot of changing and shifting. Yes. Yeah. Right. A lot of leadership changes and things like that. So maybe there is something coming. But I know at least at one point there was a vibe in that company like, no, we have no interest in doing something like this. So I'm, I'm curious what their plan is, you know, in the next five to 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree on all fronts. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned Disney Plus and we've seen the same thing with HBO Max with these movie releases. Right. If you look at their subscriber count when they announced kind of uh, this movie deal, um, we've seen Kong and Godzilla and Snyder Cut and all these things. I mean, the past six to 12 months for HBO Max has been huge. Uh, oh, in yeah. the escalation of growth. And I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, one of the things we've been talking about on BitCast for a long time now is as these studios, first party studios start to hit for, for Microsoft or Xbox, um, <clears throat> you'll, I think you'll get to the point where their, their initial aim is a major first party game every quarter. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think they'll supplement that with third party deals. So that again, steady stream of content. Right. And then to your point, this studio growth. And I think people miss that. They talk about Bethesda, they talk about they had 15 studios. Now they have 23. What a lot of people really aren't seeing, because it's obviously not a huge public thing, but the studio growth of those 15 is monumental. I mean, oh, yeah. the investment is massive. I mean, we just learned Obsidian has three projects going right now. That, that's one, what I was going to add on to that. It, one it's, studio. 20, it's 23 studios, and many of them have more than one game in development. Exactly. Exactly. So Which goes it's just exactly. math. Yeah, like exactly. said, it's just you just do the math like. Yeah. eventually i know we are actually in a bit of an xbox drought so i get why that's still a bit of a conversation point but i'm telling y'all it, it's just math that goes yeah. away at some point like it just does yeah and then once you hit that cycle it doesn't stop right yeah oh yeah 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 it's got to get there um yeah it's 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 really interesting to me and i think to your exact point on every month first party that's uh that's the future that's where you get to I right that's an eventual goal i really do i think do so. i agree with yeah. you yeah, I, I don't know if it means every single one's a Halo Infinite because at that point you question sure. like, will they like, is that just too much? But I think like some form of, you know, Microsoft game, you know, some pull from them eventually every month. I think eventually that is their goal. Yeah. No, I'm with you. 
I'm with you. It's it's really uh, to your point. You know, uh, we you know we don't do any of the fanboy nonsense, and uh, I just <laughs> I am really, <laughs> I am really interested, just like you, to see how PlayStation uh, responds. I know it's always PlayStation we go to first because they're they seem to be the more they feel direct. more direct. Yeah, exactly. The more Nintendo. direct kind of comparison, yeah. and Nintendo they just do their own thing. <laughs> they do their own thing, and they. Some we we could talk about them forever. They're, um, they're their own outlier. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a mystery to me. Their numbers are just staggering. That's um, crazy. <laughs> but um, you know, if we're sitting here, you know, just two guys talking about games, or sitting here working through the math, working through the analytics side of it that we even have access to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to imagine what those conversations at PlayStation, even if eighteen oh, months ago, fascinating. Yeah, even if 18 months ago you you really didn't want to pursue a Game Pass like alternative, as you're seeing this thing just exponentially grow and and game publishers working with Xbox to launch on the service, I, you can't ignore that. There's no way you can ignore it. Trust um, me, Jim Ryan and and all of them, they're having these exact same conversations. Exactly. Trust yeah. me. Like certain console warriors on the internet might tell you that they're not like, oh, Sony doesn't care. They, you know, because <laughs> you do. I mean, I'm telling you, you know, you see yes. stuff like this all the time. Yeah. I can promise you that Jim Ryan and leadership at PlayStation are talking about Game Pass. 100%. I can one thousand percent promise you that they are. Now, yes. does that mean that they feel? supremely threatened by it i would say not necessarily yet because they're still selling ridiculous amounts of consoles and ridiculous amounts of games yeah but like any business they're going to be forward future thinking and trust me they're they're having these conversations about a potential game pass and, and what it could do in the future yeah yep 100 i just i love talking about it because it's it's one of the biggest kind of industry changing things we've seen in a long time um mm-hmm. And it's it's got its comparisons to other markets, like we said, and other industries. Um, and I just I find it fascinating, man. I just I love <laughs> kind of looking it's in the, the crystal, best. yeah, looking in the crystal ball and trying to figure out you know where it's going and and what's going to happen. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about uh, changing um, topics a little bit is you know we've talked about all these different things, um, and you mentioned previously, or we discussed previously, that you are not officially working in the industry. Um, is that something you, you actually want to pursue? Is that a goal for you? Um, or do you kind of enjoy where you are in the sense of you kind of have your, your career life over here and family life over here and you do this and you're not kind of required to do it for, for a career, you know, what, what, what's kind of next for you in that regard? So I'm in a really weird spot and I actually have to be, have to be careful what I talk about right now. Um, Okay. So it's, uh, <laughs> I am having this internal debate myself. So, okay. so no matter what, eventually my goal is yes, in some way I'm working in games because I work in retail and retail sucks. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> like there. the company that I work for, honestly, like, cause I don't work for GameStop anymore. I work for a different company. Sure. Um, they are great. Honestly, my coworkers are great. And I feel like the company itself by retail standards, I mean, they're awesome. Okay. However, it's still retail and sure. retail still, of course, always has its huge negative sides. <laughs> so, so my goal is eventually, yes, I am, I am in games. I, you know, I'm so passionate about it that that is my goal. However, I am in this weird spot of deciding like, do I go work for just a company 
because here's the thing. If I work directly for a certain company, of course, I'm going to have to pull back what I do online in some ways, right? Because sure. I will be dealing with NDA materials. Yeah. Depending on who I work for, they might not like me talking about competition, things like that. Um, or do I try and keep up this independent thing, you know, where I can really just cover it all on my own. I can talk however I want openly about whoever I want. And I'm, you know, find some way, whether that's Patreon or something like that of, of making it a living, which is a lot harder, right. Than, than working for a company. Sure. Um, I can tell you, I have had offers from companies and, cool. uh, and, and some of them I've turned down. Right. Okay. So, um, some of them are still in an exploratory phase. I can't, I can't name the companies, but sure. yeah, there's interest there for sure. So I myself am in that weird spot of it's hard for me to decide which is the better path. Take that guaranteed money, you know, work directly for a company, which has, like I said, huge bonuses. You could potentially work your way even higher up in that company. But I am so passionate about being online and, and talking with people and going on podcasts and doing my own YouTube thing and my own Twitter. And so it's been a it's been a bit of a, a, a weird one to choose. Yeah, I can imagine. It's not easy. And yeah, you know, it's weird. If you're like me, who's had to make obviously career decisions, it's like um, you're so afraid of making the wrong one mm -hmm. um, and how it's going to turn out, you know, long term. Yeah. But um, I, I can only imagine uh, that internal struggle. So, well, um, yeah, well, I hope it, uh, you know, I hope whatever you decide, it, it works out. I, I love, like I said, at the start, I love seeing the growth and your your passion and your positivity really show through. And obviously, if you've had offers and uh, are kind of still and entertaining some um, that's shown through to other people too. So I think that's yeah. great, man. I think yeah, great. it's it's. I feel like you know I didn't used to feel this way, but I do now at least feel it's inevitable one way or the other that that I will be doing this professionally in like the next I don't know couple of years, right? Um, I'm not saying six months. I'm definitely not going go to you know my retail job, <laughs> but I do feel I will be able to do it. It's just going to be a matter of like how, you know, yeah. it, it, that is to me still the question. Um, you know, who knows? That could go either way still, I feel like. Yeah, gotcha. So are you, um, as you kind of entertain that and, and continue the journey you're on, anything else that you're particularly working on um, project wise or kind of idea wise that you want to call out or share today with <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's tough. Kind of like how we were talking about before the show, like, you know, it was just me and you before we even started filming. It's like, yeah. it's hard to juggle everything, yeah. you know, because it's like, you still have, you know, your day job, you know, I have a three-year-old, almost three-year-old daughter that I got to spend nice. time with as well. Plus yeah. I still try to do my Twitter and I try to do my YouTube and I got to do all this research in my spare time. So it's made it a challenge. Like, um, I've wanted to start a podcast for a while, but then I'm like, where do I find time to have my own podcast, schedule guests? Like, when do I have time to do this? So yeah. that's one that eventually I would love to have my own podcast on. Okay. Um, you know, I have a ton of people ask me all the time to start a Patreon. The only reason I haven't started a Patreon is I feel like if I do a Patreon, I want to feel like people are 
getting money out of it, like getting something out yes. of it besides just giving me money. Like, oh, hey, Benji, here's money. Oh, okay, I'm just going <laughs> to take it. Like, so I would want to have more stuff in my pipeline than just my weekly live chat, right? Yes. I would want like, okay, now there's a, a podcast and you're helping support this podcast or something like that. So that's really why there hasn't been a Patreon yet because there's just not, I, I want to make sure I'm giving something back than just taking money. So you know, at some point, I feel like I am going to do more of these things, but really my real focus is the Twitter. Like the, the Twitter is where most of my focus comes into because when I first started my Twitter, like the literally the main reason I did it, we talked about how I used to post on forums all the yeah. time. I literally started it by Twitter. Like literally the reason it exists was because I, like everyone else, was big into watching video game podcasts. And so often I noticed that people on the podcast that I really respect amazing people just did not know hardly anything about how sales in the business work. So I felt like some of their conversations would just be like all over the place. And so I realized like, and it wasn't just them. That's like most gamers, right? Most of your gamers just love games. They're just sitting down and playing games. So I was like, I'm going to create this Twitter because I'm passionate about it and see if I can like help the online discussion, right? Yeah. Like that was literally the main reason. It wasn't to, oh, I want to get a job and stuff like that. That's just like a nice side effect if it happens. Yeah. But it was really like, I just want to put information out there and hopefully like some people pay attention to it and it will help the conversations and, and help things. So Twitter is like my main thing just because like I love interactivity. I love interacting yeah. with people and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's... uh. You know- <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing so heavily there when you said that because I, you know, obviously I'm heavily tied into the, the community, yeah. um, and you know, some of the things I hear people say, uh, crazy, just, yeah, it's just like, oh god, man, and and I, I don't, I've said this before, and I certainly don't mean this in in any negative way. I really don't, but you know people who don't have experience in certain topics just shouldn't talk about certain topics. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, I hear people talking about like, uh, well, X cloud can't work because uh, of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, the person, you know, you know, they do something in their career that has nothing related. They have no experience in architecture or technology or or infrastructure or server base. And, you know, it's like, why are you talking about this? You don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) It's just so mad to me to hear stuff like that yeah um, the, the, what, you know i try and keep it positive online the biggest pet peeve for me is like when i like when i tweet something that like i know for a fact is right yeah. and you have that guy come in that clearly <laughs> doesn't know anything about it and it's like well actually and they give you that correction and you're like dude no like you have no idea what you're talking about i don't mind corrections when like i'm wrong because like anyone you know i'm gonna be wrong sometimes that's just human nature yeah of course so that doesn't bother me when someone comes in they're like hey dude like this is the actual correct input oh okay yeah it makes sense i'm sorry about that but my thing is like when i like literally know it's right yeah and this you know you get that rando that's like you have no idea what you're talking about it's actually this and you're like no dude this is the data point like it's right yeah the old well actually yeah, yeah. anytime a post starts with that you're like oh god here we yes, go, it's like, here we go. <laughs> i had i had uh someone post on one of our big casts uh, like a youtube comment and told me, I forget what the topic was, but it caused me just a great deal of laughter like this. Like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to go listen to this YouTuber. And I'm like, well, first, I know that YouTuber. I know what they do for a living. And believe me, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's just like I, that misinformation spread is just. Uh, oh, yeah. Thing. 
it happened so much. So that was like really the main reason I did it. And it was for podcasts, like I said, like that I love. Like I really respect the people. It wasn't yeah. to like come online and be like, you're all wrong. Like yeah. I don't comment yeah. on anyone's stuff, that sort of thing. It was just to like give that extra data point so that yeah. like if they talk about something on their podcast, they can like just pull that up. They just, oh, look, here's the, there's that. That, you know, gives us better context, that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm sure it probably, and maybe I'm assuming here so you can tell me, but I'm sure it probably annoys you because anytime someone like yourself posts clear factual data, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of how concise and direct it is, someone will find a way to use that, you know, certain things and skew it to paint a different picture, right? Like they translate a factual data point to try and support a picture that's not factual. Uh, we mm-hmm. see that all the time, and I'm sure that's got to drive you crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Since I deal so much in sales, like, yeah. no matter what, I'm an Xbox fanboy, I'm a PlayStation fanboy, I'm a Nintendo <laughs> fanboy, I'm a PC right. fanboy. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. I get called one of those fanboys, like, just at a constant basis, depending on what I tweet. If it's yeah. a positive, like, hey, Game Pass is up to this million, many million subs. Oh, dude, what an Xbox fanboy. Oh, hey, this PlayStation <laughs> game sold 20 million. Wow, what a PlayStation fanboy. Like, it's it's unavoidable. Luckily, what I've found is that I truly believe 95% of people online are super kind, super nice. I really truly believe that 95% of people that you are interacting with are great. And most of my feed, thank God, is very positive. Yeah, However, that 5% it. is extremely vocal. <laughs> 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 there, There is a really, I agree with you, there is a really positive core, right, uh, in the community, and especially if you take the time to kind of curate that community. And I, I'm a big believer in what you put out there will be kind of returned, you know what I mean? 100%. And I, yeah, and I'm fortunate that, you know, we we not as big as other sites or channels or podcasts or whatever you want to name, um, but our community, when I know when people are in the chat or people are responding to my posts or whatever, they're good people. You don't mm-hmm. see, you know, you go on some of these shows and you, you look at the chat and you're like, oh, God, man. Like, yeah, that's, it's, that's true. So it's maybe I'm being optimistic with my 95%. <laughs> let, me say, let me say 95% of people that interact with me are great. Yes, yes, yes. And that, and that means you're that means that what you're putting out there is a positive message, which is good. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think that's a testament to yourself more than anything. Oh, well, um, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I tend to <laughs> I tend to believe that that, like I said, at least the people I interact with, they seem to be mostly in the right place right yeah, yeah. Which but is but but like you said there are certain channels that paint a very <laughs> different picture <laughs> yes yeah it's tough it's tough um so before we uh it's been it's been great man uh i love Thank this you. conversation um we we have to uh i hope we get to chat more often i would love to always love to have you on Bitcast. so anytime yeah, you're anytime. you're open for that um yeah you're you're one of those people that has a a permanent welcome um, so you <laughs> just... you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but um, well, I, re- I really appreciate how positive you are too. Like seriously, I want you to oh. know that I appreciate that. Like, like just on with the things you post and the things you do as well. I I think it's really important to have voices like that out there. Thank you. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. it. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could go on about that for. I I feel like I rant about that too much, so I try to back <laughs> myself down a little bit for people. Oh, I get it. It's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, and especially if people kind of watch all the content we produce, you know, I don't want people to hear me ranting about that every other day. So right, right. Um, but yes, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but uh, before we kind of head out here, is there anything that you'd like to call out? Anything you've got upcoming? Anything? Um, where can people find you? You know, basically anything to do with your content. Yeah. So 
you know, like we mentioned earlier, that the easiest way to find me, get a hold of me, interact with me is Twitter. I'm on Twitter too much. I'm on Twitter all day, every day. So, um, you know, odds are pick a random time of the day. If I'm not asleep, I'm probably on Twitter. So uh, that's going to be the easiest way, right? Benji Sales, I, you know, talk about the video game industry in general. Of course, there's a focus. Look at the name sales. There's a focus on sales and business. Um, but I talk about, you know, everything I talk about just regular gaming news all, all across the board, but my specialty of course is going to be in that business side of things. Um, and then YouTube, right? Benji sales on YouTube. I do a weekly live chat on there and, uh, it's like probably my favorite thing that I do. I only do it once a week. It's like an hour, hour and a half a week. You've got good feedback on that though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's dude. I love it. It's really interactive. It's just literally people asking me questions, me answering questions or comments, the chat talking to each other. Like it's just, it's all live. It's really fun. And it's just a way for me and the community, like people that care about this kind of thing, the sales and stuff to just like talk about it. Cause a lot of people I feel like don't have friends that are into this fringe business how much are games selling right like i don't know a single person in my regular life that i can just go up to and be like hey did you know spider-man miles morales sold this many copies and they find it interesting right so the live chat's just i feel like a fun place for those of us that are nerdy like that to talk about it with each other so that yeah that's that's going to be the spot to do that it's on my youtube channel that's cool very cool. So I, I I forgot to mention two things. So I'm going to back up just for a second here. Okay. One is that uh, I just wanted to say that I appreciate your thought as well on Patreon, um, because I think Patreon mm. has been a go to uh, now for a lot of uh, smaller content creators and some, again, not disparaging anyone. Um, mm. But I, I like your thoughts around. Um, I don't want to just do that to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, because you really, if you're going to do that, you need to provide something. In my opinion, I completely agree with you. Something significant. Uh, this mm-hmm. is money. People working for their money, and um, you shouldn't just have a Patreon to say, "Yeah, just support me. Give me money for what I'm doing." Um, I'm not a big fan of that. So I appreciate yeah. you hearing that because I've been asked the same thing. We had people in chat the other day, like, "When are you going to do a uh, channel? You know, a YouTube subscription?" And I'm like, "It just yeah. goes against everything we do at Season Gaming. I, you know, we do it out of passion. I don't really need your money per se." So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate you hearing that right Same now. Thing. The only, the only financial thing I do in terms of like, if you want to support me is like super chats super during chats. my live chat. Yep. Like yeah. I have that there, you know, if you want to make sure that, you know, you get your comment or your question answered, you know, and I, and I, every single one of those, I make sure I give you a solid answer, a solid discussion point. Um, because that I could directly interact with, right? You drop yes. that super chat and I can immediately interact with you. Yes. Um, but yeah, that Patreon, you know, that's, that's getting someone to commit to giving you their money monthly. Like I want to yes. make sure if I do that, like, okay, you have like a thing going, like, you know, you've got the podcast and you've got something else like to where it really feels like you're supporting something bigger. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed a hundred percent. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, I can't believe I forgot this, but, uh, <laughs> I know how big of an overwatch guy you are. Oh yeah. Jeff Kaplan. Oh my goodness. What I'm happened? worried. I'm worried. I'm worried. So I don't know about you, but you know, pay, obviously this whole conversation has been around this, but we pay close enough attention to the, uh, the industry and everything going on with it. To me, something feels off about it. It doesn't feel like that was a purely voluntary moving on to another stage of his career type move. I, I think I can say like many other people have said, I've heard some worrying things about Blizzard for the past couple of years. Yeah. So, yeah. um, 
you know, this doesn't mean that Overwatch 2 won't be amazing. This doesn't mean Diablo 4 won't be amazing. But there have been some things that, you know, have been floating around that there has been some major, major problems over at Blizzard. So this is alarming to me. Um, who knows? I really like Jeff Kaplan. Like, I yeah. mean, watching those developer updates to me, I mean, I love it. He's so interactive with the community. Who yeah. knows? Maybe him leaving will be a positive thing, right? Like we don't technically know until this game comes out. You know, we don't know all of what he was thinking behind the scenes on this game. As awesome of a dude as he seems to be, maybe some of his ideas just were not good. Yeah. You know, we don't truly know, but I will say it's a major red flag for me. I mean, <laughs> yes. Jeff was literally integral to Overwatch in every way, shape, or form, from its inception to supporting the game to the ideas behind it. He's yet another longtime Blizzard key person at Blizzard leaving the company after many have left. Um, yeah. You know, he's a, be, he's a VP. Many people don't know yes. that. I mean, he's yes. significant part of that company yeah and you and you have to you know i i don't like i'm not one of these guys that beats the evil publisher drum but <laughs> you, you, you do have to be a little worried about activision's uh it, uh, their growing effect on blizzard because that's yeah. the thing they used to be run semi-autonomously right App, uh, activision kind of let blizzard do their thing um that is radically changing activision's heavily stepping in now on blizzard so you know, let's uh, let's see how this goes. I love Overwatch. I'm praying Overwatch 2 is amazing, but I'd be lying if I say Jeff Kaplan leaving is not alarming. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, and I, I forgot to put that in my notes uh, in speaking to you because I know yeah. you have some thoughts on it. Um, still, I still play Overwatch basically every day. Awesome, man. Play, awesome. I'm, I'm an Overwatch addict. <laughs> it's great to have a game like that, though. Um, yeah. I, re I really love that. And, you know, if, if – In fact, that I forgot, when you said GOAT, I mean, Overwatch is up there for me for GOAT game. Okay. It really is. I mean, I've put over 1,500 hours on PlayStation on that game. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hey, you're not kidding. Yeah. No, I'm at 1,500 hours <laughs> played on PlayStation. I don't even play it on PC. I play it on console. Yeah. When I, when I did play it, I played on console too. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, it, it, it just struck me weird. You know, you read enough of these weird, announcements yeah. to, to, to kind of read behind the lines. It's, it's just like the uh, Sean Layden thing. There, there's <laughs> something that happened there that we don't know about. He didn't just voluntarily leave PlayStation. I think Sean kind of let the uh, the cat out of the bag the other day a little bit when it, with the stuff he was liking on Twitter. Oh, really? I, I must have missed Did it. Did you not see that? Uh-uh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Sean basically made his feelings about Jim Ryan very publicly known. <laughs> Did he? How did I you miss see this? this? He went back no. and, and deleted them all. He went back and deleted them all. <laughs> I, I like Sean. So in the very, very minute chance that he sees this, because I know yeah. Sean has liked and, and, you know, interacted with some of my content before. I think the yeah. odds are very low. So in the very small chance that Sean Layden sees this, I'm not saying it to, you know, out you, man. <laughs> but, uh, Oh, yeah. So that day that everyone was like blowing up online at PlayStation uh, when yeah. the Days Gone article and all that came yes, out yes, from Jason yes. Trier, Sean Layden literally started going around. Like you could look at his likes live as it happened. People were posting memes of like down with Jim Ryan. He's ruining PlayStation. And Sean Layden's liking every single <laughs> one of them. Dude, I mean, it was just a list of memes, pictures, all like anti-Jim Ryan stuff. And he's just blasting that like button. Oh, man. He had a couple <laughs> drinks. It was late at night. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was going off. And uh, I clearly think there's a pretty 
strong indication that him and Jim Ryan did not see yeah. eye to eye. They which is something had, I, which is something I've heard for a long time. So. Yes, they, it yeah. feels like they had contrasting visions as to yes, where PlayStation needed the to business, go. Yeah, yeah. I don't and, know that it was like a personal thing, but yeah, I just think they had very different views on on PlayStation. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So we'll we'll see. I, I obviously wish the best for Overwatch too, even though I'm not a big fan. I am. If Overwatch is like that to you, Diablo is like that to me. I'm a Diablo. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I adore Diablo. Um, and I. You know, I just every so aspect. You're still of kind it. of in the same boat with me because uh, Diablo Four. Who knows? It looks awesome, but with Blizzard right now, it's like who knows? Yeah, and I, you know, I love Rod Ferguson because I'm a Gears guy. So I, yes, I've met Rod. Him. You know, I've met Rod. Oh, that's awesome. Both. I've never met him. That's awesome. Yeah, he's he's a great dude. Great mm-hmm. dude. Um, I know he has a very good reputation in the industry for like being us. able to finish games like that. He knows how to get a studio working. Yes, he finished Bioshock Infinite. That's what yep. he was brought in for, and. uh yeah, he's he's really good at what he does, and I you know I have a lot of faith in the Diablo team and Rod and those guys. But again, Activision's growing impact on Blizzard as a mm-hmm. whole always just oh yeah, who worries? <laughs> at least at least let Diablo Four get out the door and be good. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. But um, Benji Ben, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome, thanks, man. So, yeah, I've uh, really enjoyed it. Good. Good, good. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. Um, I'm sure we'll talk again in the future. Um, uh, you already did your shout out like 10 minutes ago, so sorry about that. I kind of went backwards in the conversation. But um, for everyone who's uh, who's checking this out and uh, the feedback I've got on these conversations has been uh, just overwhelmingly positive and uh, just truly appreciate it. Tr- appreciate the support and, uh, you know, everything you guys do in following Season Gaming. So thank you. Benji and I are going to get out of here. It's a uh, lovely Sunday afternoon. I mean, I'm not far from you, and it's like 80 degrees outside. So Yeah, it's I need, beautiful. <laughs> I need to get outside for a little bit. So, <laughs> But thanks for coming on, dude. I'll be in touch. Uh, anyone watching this, thank you again, and uh, until next time.